the Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial Methodist Church. In today's message, Pastor David Cartwright shows us how to release and surrender and truly follow Jesus. Hearing the voice of God is a powerful thing, but rarely is it the final thing. Hearing is often a prequel to obedience. Full abandon to God's will means full surrender of our own. Jesus' call to follow me challenges us at the most treasured places in our lives. While the rich young ruler was challenged about his possessions, the principle applies to all of us. Each of us has those things, perhaps one thing, that would be the most difficult to surrender in order to pursue Christ's kingdom. You may not have picked up on it yet, but I'll go ahead and clue you that for the last couple of weeks and today and next week, uh, we're on a little bit of a journey, kind of almost getting into Lent before Lent even gets here. Or you might say we're preparing for Lent. Uh, You may remember a couple of weeks ago, my invitation to you was to become hungry. Hungry for God. And as we hunger for God, we can expect God to honor that desire. And so it's important for us to learn to be attentive, to understand and, and, and be responsive and aware when God speaks to us, when God shows his presence to us. We want to not miss that. But we also can be confident that when God speaks to us, the speaking to us is seldom the final thing. Because God's speaking to us typically leads us then to an invitation to be obedient to him. When God says go, he invites us then to go. There's a response on our part to God's speaking to us. And if you'll notice something about Jesus and his ministry, he he tends to have this ability go figure when you're the son of God and like you know the deepest inclinations of every heart but he has this ability to quickly identify the very thing in any person that has the potential to be a hindrance to obedience uh, my family and I enjoy you can take this as, as a confession if it needs to be One of the TV shows we like to watch is NCIS. You don't have to agree with me, you know, but I know, I bet somebody else in here likes to watch that show. Um, Now, as with any police agency or government agency, there's a chain of command, okay? There are people who answer to other people who answer to other people, and when someone with authority gives, gives an order, gives an instruction to someone over whom they have authority, they expect that order to be carried out, right? And usually it is, but every once in a while you'll notice that that the person says, I can't do that. I can't do, you know, it may be a family situation or it may be a, a, you know, a deeply held value or uh, whatever it is, you, you find those instances when the person says to their superior, I can't do that. Well, on a TV show, that may be one thing. But where Jesus is concerned, that's a problem. 
Because when Jesus calls followers, he calls them to be completely surrendered to him. Not casual, partially compliant people. He's looking for fully invested, fully surrendered disciples. And so if there's anything in, in our lives that has the potential to, to be that hurdle, Jesus says, I want, I want to identify that and invite you to let go. So as the text was read to you, we get one of those glimpses. This young man who has uh, every, uh, you know, there's every reason for us to believe that he was a God-fearing person, probably lived what we would call a good life, uh, hungered for God, wanted to know God, was interested in, you know, what, what do I need to do to, to enter heaven? And Jesus said, well, we give, you, know, you have the commands, you know what they are. And, and, and the guy says, well, I've, I've, I've been obedient to them. And again, as far as human, humanly possible, we would say, yes, he's probably been an obedient person to God's commandments. But Jesus senses, oh, you're, you're looking for more, you know. And so Jesus identifies that one thing. This is the thing that has the potential to be a hindrance to you following me. And so he says to the guy, okay, if you're really serious about this, now I'm paraphrasing a little, but I think this is accurate. He says, if you're really serious about this, go and sell all your possessions. Take the proceeds, give to the poor, and then come back and follow me. And what happened? You see, the guy went away brokenhearted, dejected, because Jesus had identified that, that thing that he couldn't quite let go of. Or to put it another way, he couldn't bring his wealth under the lordship of Jesus. And I've had so many people say to me, and I fully believe them when they do, because we talk about this text, and yes, it talks about wealth, and we should talk about wealth. Because the, the scripture is so plain that, that, that wealth, human uh, you know, possessions, worldly goods, money or, or in-kind goods, all of that has such a great potential to be that stumbling block. That's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6 that the love of money is, is a root of all kinds of evil. And it's caused all kinds of people to, to abandon their faith and to, to afflict themselves with uh, all kinds of grief. Yes, it has the potential. And people have said to me, well, but God hasn't told me to sell all my possessions. That's fine. That's fine. But could you if he did tell you? I guess you'll never know unless you really hear that word from God. But it's a question worth asking because to call Jesus Lord means that we put everything under his lordship. Bar nothing. So that when he says, I want this, I want you to do this with that, with anything in our lives, then there's not a, I can't do that. It's a, yes, Lord, I'll respond. And that's what he's looking for. And so this passage, we could spend our time talking about worldly goods. I'm not going to do that. 
Because there's a, there, there's a principle that lies even under that. It applies to our worldly goods, but it, on a deeper level, it's anything that we need to let go in order to fully be surrendered to Jesus. Because there are all kinds of things that keep us from being freely obedient to Jesus in our lives. So let's look at a few of those, okay? We've already got the example of the young man. You know what worldly goods can do to hold us back. Let me offer you a few others from Scripture. Um, couple of these I'll have you turn if you want. I know you still have your Bibles open in the Gospel according to Matthew. So if you turn back to chapter 4, I'm going to read a few verses there. These will be familiar. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is just starting his ministry. And I'll begin reading a couple of verses in verse 18. It says, Now Jesus, as, as Jesus was walking at, by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the fishermen, into the sea because they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me and I will make you what? See how well you know this? It's ingrained in you, right? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They cast a net into the sea because they were, okay, that was their, that was their trade. That was their occupation. That, that was, do you know how much for some of us, our occupation becomes our identity. Introduce yourself to somebody new and they say, what, what, what do you do, right? It's one of the first things. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a pastor. Like that's supposed to be something special. I'm a, I'm a CPA. I'm a lawyer. I'm a, a fill-in-the-blank, you know. It becomes our identity. And... There's nothing wrong with that, you know, I mean, because it, it's a big part of our lives. But it also becomes one of those things that could be something Jesus wants surrendered to us. Such as, could you walk away from it if Jesus called you to? Now, that may be a harder question to answer than what you think. Because the response may be, but I've put so much time into this. I mean, I went to four years of college, went to graduate school, I went to training, I've invested, I've climbed the ladder. You see where I'm going? These things could be difficult to let go because we've invested so much and they become so much a part of who we are. Could you walk away from it if Jesus asked you to? Jesus needs you to bring that under the lordship, his lordship. He will either use it, and it doesn't mean you have to walk away from it. It just means that you have to allow him to be lord over it in your life. These guys were fishermen. You know what they did when Jesus said, follow me? They left their nets. That's a powerful image. Those nets become iconish to, to represent what those guys did, it was their security, it was their identity, it was their livelihood. This is how they lived their lives. And to walk away from it was no small deal. But they did. For some of us, Jesus says, let go of your nets. 
I need you to follow in a different direction. For some people, Jesus says, let go of your past. There's an account that you'll read in Luke chapter 19. When I mention the man's name, it will be very uh, familiar to most of you, I suspect. I'm not going to read it for you, but you're welcome, encouraged to look there to make sure I'm telling you the truth. Luke chapter 19, there's this guy named Zacchaeus, right? Jesus and his uh, disciples were going along. They come to this uh, desert oasis town called Jericho. There's this guy named Zacchaeus who is not only a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector. So he's risen the ladder, okay? Now if you remember anything about tax collectors, one, they had very few friends other than other tax collectors because nobody else of the Jews liked them, probably for good reason, because they had a habit of being dishonest in the collection of taxes for the Romans. So they were seen as cheats. Uh, they, they, they used their power and authority in unscrupulous ways. Plus the fact that they had, had, had aligned themselves with the good of the Romans, which, you know, that really doesn't go over well with very many Jews during that time. But Zacchaeus, as he sees Jesus, he's, he, he's interested. And, and, he, and he runs ahead because he's not very tall. Is that kinder than saying short? He's not very tall, and he can't see over the crowd, and so he climbs up a tree so he can see Jesus. Jesus spots him and says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to go to your house and eat today. Now the crowd hears him say this. They know to whom he's speaking. And so the crowd starts to grumble. Oh, I can't believe he's going to his house to have dinner. Why? Because someone who is a respectable rabbi wouldn't be hanging around with a tax collector, would he? And Zacchaeus picks up on it. And the text doesn't give any other prompting other than Zacchaeus apparently knows that the crowd is disapproving of Jesus going to his house to eat. And Zacchaeus says, Lord, I'll sell half my possessions and give to the poor. And if I have wronged anybody, parenthetically, you know he has. If I've wronged anybody, I will pay them back four times as much. In one word, do you know what that is? It's repentance. It, it is a, it's a turning. It, it's a response to grace shown toward him. And it is after Zacchaeus says this that Jesus responds and says, Today, I tell you, salvation has come to this house. Let me offer a comment since we're right here. Um, if you are on social media, especially these days, you probably have seen people who post about Jesus. They'll post, this, it'll be just this very 
like short post, and it'll say something like, Jesus ate with everybody. No other comment. Jesus ate with everybody. Well, that's a factual statement. And it's typically offered with a particular agenda. And the reason I mention this is because Zacchaeus offers us a good example of why Jesus ate with everybody. Jesus ate with everybody because the grace of God is for everybody. It's not just for black people or for white people. It's not just for Republicans or Democrats. How else can we divide things? It's not just for people of one particular nationality or race or gender or whatever else you might want to say. The grace of God that comes from the love of God is for everyone. And that's why Jesus ate with everyone. Because he knew that to go to anyone and to offer them the grace and love of, of God would bring about life transformation, which is exactly what happened with Zacchaeus. Pay attention to the progression of the text. Jesus spotted him, said, I'm going to eat with you today. We're going to have intimate fellowship together. Zacchaeus responded with a change of heart, which is exactly what Jesus is looking for which is why he says then, salvation has now come to this house. But you see what Zacchaeus had to leave behind? There was a former life there that he had to walk away from. For every one of us, whether it's in business or some other way, our response to Jesus is, there are things of the past I have to let go of. I had a guy in a congregation tell me, not this congregation, so it's none of you. He was a businessman, and he was talking to me about the, the living out of his Christian life. And, and basically what he was saying, I don't remember exactly how he put it, but he, he basically said, you know, I, I live my Christian life in all these other facets of, of, of my living, but business is business. He used that phrase. He said, business is business. And I said, oh no, you, you, don't, you don't get to compartmentalize your discipleship. You're a disciple in every aspect of your life or you're not at all. So you don't get to conduct your business in a way other than the way that you conduct all the rest of your Christian living. He didn't like that I told him that. I'm pretty sure I was right. There are things that you have to leave in the past. And Zacchaeus walked away from it. And the love of Christ came to him. For some people, Jesus says, you've got to let go of your box. Let me read for you the first two verses of John chapter 3. I'll tell you in a moment what box you have to let go of because I know some of you are probably thinking, what box? Like the cardboard box from Amazon that's sitting on my front porch? And, uh. So 
John chapter 3, most of it is a is conversation, an intimate conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And it, it, the text says here, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. There is a but after that statement. It's not included in the text, but it's there. This man was not only a Pharisee, he was on the ruling board of the Pharisees. He was a well-experienced, well-educated leader of the Jews. He comes to Jesus and says to him, comes to him by night, okay, so this is not an open public meeting. He's got Jesus aside, so it's just the two of them, so he can be perfectly honest. He says, look, it's apparent you are a man sent from God. No one can do the things you're doing unless God is with him. Yeah. And. But. You see, what he couldn't figure out was that Jesus' ministry didn't fit what they expected the Messiah to look like. Go back five minutes in our conversation. Eating with tax collectors? Ah, probably not. All these, you see, he had a box that he kept God in. And Jesus was living outside the box. His dilemma was, you're a godly man, but I, we can't figure out because... We've got God here, and you're out here, and we can't get the two figured out. Has God ever worked in a way that really caught you off guard? Has it ever appeared to you that God may be moving among people in certain places or in certain ways that you wouldn't have otherwise expected? What was your response to that? You say, oh, well, that can't be legitimate because I know how God works. You see, we stick in our box. Nicodemus couldn't stay in his box anymore. Jesus was blowing it up. I'm going to suggest to you that whether you realize it or not, many of us have a box. And I want to be very clear. I'm not suggesting to you that we can't have understanding about God, his, the God's nature, the way God might work. We have a text here that is rich with examples and instruction for us. We can know, but unfortunately, we all have this little box. And sometimes God starts working outside of it. And we have a hard time letting go of the box. Well, we could pursue Nicodemus' story a little bit. But think about it. It's very possible you might have a box and Jesus is starting to uh, tear the seams of it. One other example I want to give you. 
And I'm going to read again from Matthew. Uh, this in chapter 26 because I just want to catch the wording here. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. Um, the disciples have gone out. It's the night before he's going to the cross. And uh, immediately after uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus with a kiss, this is in Matthew 26, and I'll read from uh, verse 51. It says, And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached down and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. We know from reading John's gospel that that was Peter. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all of those, those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. For some of us, Jesus says, If you want to follow me, put your sword down. Put your sword down. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I didn't bring a sword. I don't carry a machete around on my side. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of Christians who are carrying swords around. Not physically. Emotionally, mentally. And given the opportunity, we pull them out and use them with great precision and destruction. Anger, uh, resentment, with, withheld forgiveness toward people. These things are are powerful weapons for the enemy. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back. I'm sure that Jesus was touched that Peter was willing to fight for his, on his behalf. I'm sure Jesus is pleased that we would be willing to fight on his behalf. But you have to understand that sometimes the gospel comes not by wielding a sword whether it's physical or emotional. Jesus goes on and, and he says a couple of things that are, that are very important. In verse 53, Jesus says to Peter, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Paraphrased. Do you think that I, I, all of a sudden I'm out of God's blessing? Like, like God isn't with me anymore? And in verse 54, he says, How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Paraphrased, God is still working out his plan. You don't have to wield the sword in order for God's plan to keep going. And there are a lot of times when we pull the sword... And we're not following God's will. It may be the thing that keeps us back. So my question to you is, what is it that you need to let go right now? In order to be fully obedient, fully free, to follow Jesus.
What would you need to let go today? You know, some people may say, well, just, okay, it's like if I have all these things and I'm, I'm still holding back, does that mean that God doesn't love me anymore? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Of course God still loves you. That won't change. Does it mean that God can't use me? No, it doesn't mean that at all. God still uses <laughs> very imperfect children. But what I say to you is this. Why should we, why should we be content with marginal compliance to God's will when Jesus calls us to full surrender? What is it that you need to let go today? As hard as it may be, I invite you to put it on the altar so that you may have joyful freedom to follow Jesus this day. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can watch our worship services online at www.rmmcwp.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.